Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Did you prepare your body for today's episode, <laughs> Ben? I did prepare my wife. I called her up and I said, uh, when you get home, I will be useless. <laughs> I think we had the same afternoon because my wife's like, "Hey, uh, I'm getting off work early. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna come home and we can hang out." And I was like, "Actually, <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm hanging out with Ben on the internet, and we're getting drunk talking about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. There's many ways to keep the flame lit in a relationship, Adam. That's not one of them." <laughs> You mean by it's not just, in my experience by just throwing the candle into the ocean? <laughs> uh, what are, what are you going to be drinking today, here, buddy? If you were served the, a glass of bourbon this sized at a bar, it would be irresponsible of the bartender. <laughs> and you're, uh, and you're doing a John Gabris on live Doughboys <laughs> sized glass of bourbon. That is a unit of measurement I I am very familiar with. That is exactly <laughs> what I'm having. And I also have three backup beers. All right. Um, I'm doing some, some cleaning out the liquor cabinet because one thing that... Uh, one, one strange side effect of my, of my lifestyle over the last several years is that I was making a documentary and making a cocktail podcast at the same time. And so I was flying back and forth across the country, and I wound up building up what I called the West Coast Bar. Yeah. And I have recently recovered the West Coast Bar, which is nearly as big as all of my uh, booze from my East Coast collection. So I've got a lot of, <laughs> I've got a lot of duplicates, and uh, today the project is get rid of as much white tequila as I can. Wow. Uh, so how, I've got how- some... How much white tequila do you have in West Coast Bar? Uh, West Coast Bar came with a about a half full bottle of Hornitos Plata and mm-hmm. a nearly full bottle of Silver Patron. Ooh. So uh, I'm going to mix it with tonic water to start and probably will wind up running out of tonic water and just drinking it straight. But in the meantime, Adam, I thought I would suggest... Something to do with this, Marin, that isn't us just talking about booze, is that uh, we have not played the card game in a long time. We have not gone to war. I'm ready to go to war with you. The holidays are over. (laughs) We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. War! Go to war! Ben, you know how this goes. Uh, Whenever we play war against each other, we flip over three cards from the Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, What is the game called? The Customizable Card Game, and we are using White Border Edition cards, which means something. Um, And yeah, my deck is already shuffled, so I'm pretty much ready to go. It sounds like you're shuffling, so I'll take the opportunity to put some... Tequila in my glass. 
I was just uh, taking the opportunity to make sure we were on the up and up. <laughs> I I slid my deck over to you and you didn't even cut it for me. You just gave it that knock. Yeah, I just tapped it on the top. I trust you. All right. I'm ready to go. I know you're dealing off the bottom one way or the other. I got that mechanics grip, Ben. <laughs> uh, if you catch a hanger, I'm going to be real pissed. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one, flip. I have emergency transponder armbands, which is an interrupt <laughs> card. Oh, man. Do better than that. Uh, I think I might have that beat. I have Ensign Calloway. That's who Calloway. A uh, medical technician that served on the USS Enterprise in 2370. A uh, lovely young woman with integrity of seven, cunning of five, and strength of three. I don't know, man. I don't know if you have emergency transporter armbands beat. (laughs) These devices allow quick remote activation of a transporter when in danger. Now... The, the fair lieutenant could present some danger that I'm not aware of, thus necessitating the need to emergency transport away. All right. You've got me convinced. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to manipulate you with every flip. <laughs> Three, two, one. Uh, I have flipped over... A card with a uh, Romulan on it, name of Mirok, the scientist in charge of developing and testing the interphase generator in 2368. This is a man with a shockingly low integrity of three, (laughs) a cunning of eight, and a strength of seven. Always a game of chess with Mirok. Ben, uh, in this round of war, Mirok goes up against Combat Vessel. (laughs) Uh, you may be familiar with this vessel as the the Hoopty Lowrider class of, of vessels that hung out yeah. in the surplus depot, Z-15. Is this the, like, murdered out, all oh, yeah. black everything vessel? Yeah, this is the one that took one light hit on itself and uh, explode because it was so <laughs> full of fireworks. <laughs> Tell me something, Ben. Does Mirak explode when you hit him with a phaser? No, but I think Mirak was the guy that invented that thing that made Jordy and Roe uh, go invisible and have that Ferris Bueller chase through the entrepreneur with another Romulan. So Was he the first guy to wear a cat basket on screen? Oh, I don't think he blazed that particular trail. <laughs> that wasn't him. <laughs> no. The uh, the Mirak Memorial cat basket, that wasn't him. <laughs> oh, but he no. was the guy that uh, that ran out a window and then, like did weightless somersaults outside. Yeah, that might have been one of his buddies, but that's we're talking about the same episode. Okay, I'm with you. Um, yeah, I think Mirak wins, buddy. I think uh, I think taking like like showing up flexing like you're that hard and then blowing up with one hit is real real bush league shit. <laughs> I couldn't disagree with you more. Uh, but for the sake of the game, I do want to go to her third round, Ben, so let's do that. <laughs> you want there to be some suspense here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one. Flip. Ben, I have ship poopy. <laughs> it's microbiotic colony, and it's a picture of the uh, of the poopy that was on the pach. Rare, rare subatomic space-borne life form that can cause severe damage to a starship's hull 
It's a dilemma, Ben. <laughs> I, I might have the engineer from the Pach here. I've got Klingon engineer Krom, reputed to have consumed 15 Rokeg blood, blood pies at one sitting. Krom <laughs> uh, is a... Uh, Stand is, by Krom, uh, huh? W- weighs in at an integrity of five, a cunning of six, and a strength of eight. Does strength mean appetite in this case? I think it probably does. <laughs> One of these things is just some some interplanetary poopy. The other is a, a Klingon engineer. A forgotten Klingon engineer, by the way. <laughs> How much damage could a single Klingon engineer do compared to space poopy? Yeah, he probably needs a buddy to put a gun together out of his uniform. This is ship dysentery we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I think we need something a little more definitive. What do you say we go to a special round four? Okay. I'm, I'm down for round four. All right. The next clear winner wins war today. Do you want to count it off? Three, two, one. Oh, man. Speaking of, uh, speaking of phased matter, Adam, I've got a card with Lieutenant Rowe. Coming halfway out of a wall. She's like walking through the door that is closed. This is a dilemma card. Phased matter. Phased personnel vibrate out of sync with normal matter, rendering them undetectable. Phased people cannot interact with non-phased people. Away team is split into two away teams. Owner's choice. Only the smaller team may beam up until engineer and science present. I could present to Enton Rowe. <laughs> ben, you got me beat because I have equipment, and that equipment is Romulan pad. Uh, something oh. that is no match for a phased Ensign Row or anyone else, I think. So I think you got yeah. me. You got me in this round of war. There's not many cards that don't have Ensign Row on them that would beat one that does. Yeah, agreed. Like, uh,. Combat vessel would be defeated by Ensign Rowe, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations, Ben. Good job, Ben. Oh, it's, it's it feels good to win. It feels good to have something go my way for once in my miserable life. What do you say we uh, turn the page and start talking about this episode we came here to talk about today, Adam? It's an episode that we agreed to do drunk. It's Deep Space Nine Season 1, Episode 14. Progress! Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. This episode starts out uh, with a familiar close-up, handful of playing cards. It's it's Nog and Jake playing a bit of poker. Uh, You know... If we wanted to take each other's roles, we could have just stayed home. I was surprised to see standard, like, bicycle playing cards being used in this scene. <laughs> like, yeah. they didn't even try to to space up the cards, right? Yeah, they're not even, like, silver hologram playing cards or anything. They aren't even the big type cards that you use to play with your grandparents. They never used weird spacey cards on TNG, though, did they? 
I think the space poker scenes had backsides that were like foil. Like they looked like special foil cards on the back. Hmm. Well, these are not those, unfortunately. They're just some regular-ass throwback cards. I guess they're into baseball, so maybe it stands to reason that they'd also be into old-timey playing cards. That makes sense. Hey, uh, get a load of these cards I found, Jake. They're they're from a place called Walgreens. (laughs) Aren't these hilarious? (laughs) Ah, Dad, you got the pinochle set. Nog is having a tough time focusing on the game because he's overhearing uh, his his uncle Quark rip into one of the employees about having purchased way too much yamak sauce. I'm going to take half your paycheck every week for the next six years, cocksucker. By way too much, uh, we're given we're given a quantity we've never heard before. They're ramages, <laughs> ramages of yamak sauce. My headcanon indicates, like, this is sort of a uh, a Yoshida's teriyaki sauce situation, right? Yeah. I wonder how many ramages of, of vomit I will produce if I consume all the tequila I have here. Like, you ever go to, uh, you ever go to a Costco and see, like, the cases of Yoshida sauce? And, uh, <laughs> and the guy, like, the Yoshida's guy, he sort of has a, a mascot. Like, he's the Yoshida's man. And sometimes he's wearing a cowboy hat. Mm. I like to think that there's a there's a cowboy hat wearing wearing Cardassian on the side of these Yamak sauce cases, right? I I just really admire your confidence that anybody knows what the fuck crazy Costco thing you're talking about, Adam. <laughs> I think it's fucked up that we never see what the Yamak sauce looks like. They don't even show it to us. Yeah, is is Yamak sauce a perishable good? I don't know, because we never go into a walk-in cooler to see it. We never get to see Quark taking a uh, a Scrooge McDuck-style treasure bath in the yamak sauce. What we get is Quark saying it's disgusting, but yeah, like I want to know it's disgusting. Show mm. you know what you know what kids do when they when they find a sauce they don't understand, Ben. Is they eat it and they dare each other to eat it. Like, <laughs> I don't really get the sense that Jake and Nog are close friends because neither of them dares the other to like mix it around in their chocolate milk. Yeah, Yamak uh, Yamak sauce stays off screen. It is it is merely a, seen as a a potential come up for for the boys who uh, decide to uh, take. Take possession of this yamak sauce and look to uh, to sell it for five bars of gold press latinum, which are kind of the scarves of Deep Space Nine, I guess. This obsession with the latinum from Nog is, on the one hand, understandable because he's he's emulating behavior of the adults around him. Yeah, but on the other hand, this was such an opportunity to build out Nog's character a little bit by telling us something he may be interested in buying with the Latinum. Yeah. But we don't get that. Like, there's never that secondary step of, like, I need to get the Latinum so I can do this. It's just about the Latinum. He never stops off at the music store and looks at the uh, guitar in the (laughs) the, uh, Lucite case. Excalibur. Wow. Right, and I kind of, like, I wanted to know more about 
Nog's motivation? And I guess maybe the answer is in the question, which is like, if you're a Ferengi, all you want is that Latinum. And that is, it is its own value. I guess so. That is, uh, that is story B, I will say, getting kicked off. Story A is uh, starting up on the command deck where uh, Cisco and the gang are overseeing some, uh, some science that is taking place to prepare the fifth moon in orbit of Bajor uh, for becoming a power plant. They're going to, like, tap the molten core of this moon, turn it into a power generator that, I guess, beams energy back to the surface, and it's going to heat 100,000 homes this winter. It's uh, it's the clean coal of moons, Ben. <laughs> what is Bajor's level of technology? Man, that is a great question. It seems... It seems barely post-industrial, right? Right. It seems like kind of contemporary in a weird way. But if you have spaceships, you should be able to heat homes, right? Yeah, exactly. But the last time we visited Bajor, they believed in some weird goo ghost. So, like, it must totally vary around the planet. Yeah. They just need to get their grid... Uh, you know, up to date because I feel like one you plug one warp reactor into the grid, you're going to be able to power all the homes you need to power. Even the end of pollution, warmth for the whole world. They need to send the elevator back down. You know what I'm saying? Like they need to bring everyone up to the same level. You got people on Bajor living in huts, completely yeah. unpowered, and then you got a. Uh, you have what I imagine to be like. Totally modern-looking cities with with modern people doing modern work. Like, where is the Elon Musk of, of Bajor, who's like, this is fucking ridiculous, let's just have some solar power already? I'll tell you where he's not. He's not on this fifth <laughs> moon, Ben. Because, no. because they do a scan of the moon first. I think that's a smart idea. You want to make sure that, that no one's living on the moon. And they find a couple of people and they get the, those guys off, but... It's Dax and Kira that take a runabout to this place to do some close-up looking. I guess Just this dead. is not a this is a moon of the size that they couldn't scan it remotely. They've got to like do a grid pattern search on it. Yeah, do a, do like a last-minute idiot check. Make sure there's no people running around down there. That's a good idea. And, yeah, sure enough, they lift up one of the couch cushions. Ants, ants. And, uh, and yeah, there's there's three humanoid life signs down on the surface, which I, I feel like uh, we shouldn't cruise past the thing that they discuss immediately preceding this, which is that uh, Dax came very close to going on a date with Morn, the uh, shriveled up prune man that's always sitting at Quark's bar. Yeah, you got to believe the uh, the shriveled up carpet matches the shriveled up drapes, right? <laughs> You're saying he has six or eight wiry pubes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is what I'm saying. I think Morn probably keeps it pretty uh, pretty trimmed up down there. I think Morn's packing a hammer also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, come on. <laughs> What's Morn's crank look like? Let's talk about that for the next 30 or 40 minutes. <laughs> I 
Dax saying this to fuck with Kira? So what'd you say? I said I was busy. Good. Based on Kira's reaction, I'm assuming that's why. But, like, I don't really get the sense that Dax has much of a sense of humor. I know. Like, she's very dry if she does. Yeah. It, I, I like this piece of dialogue so much because it really has nothing to do... It's only there to develop character and build world. It doesn't, like, drive the plot. It doesn't really have anything to do with what's going on in the episode specifically. It's not planting something that needs to be paid off later. It's just a... It's just some shop talk uh, in in universe, which is uh, something I love. One of the things that they could have done here that they depend on our headcanon to do instead is like when you live seven lifetimes, the things that you're interested in sexually have got to be so fucking weird. Like (laughs) when you're 700 years old, I think Morn is probably a fairly interesting conquest for you. Yeah. Right? You probably are far less superficial than someone who only lives a single lifetime, right? I've had enough nice-looking penises. Now I'm going to go for the shriveled-up gray one. (laughs) I'm going to go for the hammer with the pointy stuff coming out of it. (laughs) The Ben Grimm of penises. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so, uh, So there's three people down there, and Kira's like, fuck, all right. I've got the I've got the funny nose. I'll go down and talk to him, and uh, she uh, goes and and beams down to the Hobbiton of assholes, and uh, and uh, the the two Bajorans that are standing around start coming at her with uh, with farm implements. Like it's it's like a you know there's nothing but gourds and rustic shit laying around, and uh, and these two. These two like angry ass Bajorans come come at her with these pokey farm implements, and uh, and uh, we get the reveal of their their third Mullabok, who uh, you know manages to uh, convince his his friends not to flay Kira right then and there. The problem is they don't like uniforms. Mullabok calls off the Bajoran Gothic security system that he has <laughs> outside his outside his hut yeah and uh man adam these are just some corn pone bajoran rednecks and uh they ain't going nowhere for no one what are you doing now The A story is Kira playing uh, Pierce Brosnan's character in Dante's Peak. <laughs> the B story is Nog and Jake playing Red Paperclip. Yeah, indeed it is. They uh, they get on Craigslist with this uh, with this yamak sauce, and uh, and they find a a freighter captain on the ship who or on the on the on the station who sort of like he looks like he climbed up the loaf tree and then fell down and hit every branch <laughs> on the way down um this guy is willing to do business with them but he's not going to pay them for the yamak sauce um he is uh he's interested in trading for it did you already finish your bourbon 
No, I'm starting to go back and forth now. <laughs> You're turning this into a Boilermaker situation? Beer is for breakfast around here. Drink or be gone. Ah, just like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going with like a shot in a beer format right now. Nog and Jake end up trading the sauce, Ben. They trade it for bolts. Self-sealing stem bolts? Top-grade merchandise. It's another thing that they don't really understand the usefulness of. They're, in much in the red paperclip kind of way, they're like, well, maybe this has value to someone. It's, they kind of ignore that investing advice that is like, you should really know like what is good about a company that you're investing in. Let's buy. Let's buy 100 shares. All right, click it in there. Okay. How about 500? 100, Stuart. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, they, I mean, it's a weird episode because they, you know, like they'll, they'll be standing in the cargo hold and Chief O'Brien will come in and they'll be like, yeah, we got all these stem bolts. And he's like, well, what are they for? And they're like, you don't know? <laughs> and uh, I guess... I guess this is an imagined future that doesn't have like a searchable uh, database like Wikipedia or anything <laughs> on it. So, uh, so, so they can't find out what self-stealing stem bolts are for. So their uh, their plan is to try and find the guy that uh, wanted them in the first place. I guess this I guess this freighter captain had. Uh, arranged to sell them to a Bajoran who wound up not having enough dough to uh, to compensate him for the stem bolts. So, and like me at the negotiating table, Nag is like, uh, "Would you pay five bars of latinum for these?" And the guy's like, <laughs> "Well, I don't." And he's like, four. And the guy on the other line's like, well, the thing is, and then he's like, Okay, you talked me into it. I will give you a few bars of cold West Latin if you take them off my hands. Right. (laughs) If I'm Jake right now, I mean, don't I want to get out of business with this guy as soon as possible? (laughs) Jake is like, aren't aren't you guys supposed to be naturally predisposed to being good at this? (laughs) The thing about this whole deal is that anything more than nothing is a win. But even that's not guaranteed here. Like, they could end up losing big time on something that they got for free. Yeah, because they get the they got the gamic sauce for free because Quirk is just so angry that he has it in the in the first place. He says like, "Just get it out of here. Do whatever you want with it." And uh, and so yeah, like anything they get is going to be pure profit. I thought it was funny that Quirk is angrier at Rom for ordering too much teriyaki sauce than he was for the <laughs> attempted murder that Rum tried to visit upon him a couple episodes ago. Like, yeah. he fucking tears him a new one. Back on this moon, uh, we get, we're getting to know the, the people that live there. They're two, the, the two uh, Bajoran Gothics who... Uh, it, it is explained that they don't speak because the Cardassians which is code for they don't speak because the budget. And Kira starts to really, like, connect with Mullabach. Also, Mullabach's kind of a dick. Yeah, Mullabach is, uh, is, I think he's, like, trying to get Kira mad. How am I doing? So he's, uh, like, kind of catcalling her and stuff. Not well enough to get rid of me. Damn! She pretty much does not put up with it. She's giving him the volcano pitch. They began tapping the core of this moon in seven days. I know. She's like, look, 
mining is going to start happening and then the air is going to turn into poison and then you're going to die. So uh, what do you say you clear out and come with me and we'll resettle you on Bajor? It'll be great. It'll be just like this. You can be as alone and as assholey as you want to. And Mullabach, like the old lady on the volcano, uh, refuses to leave. Let me explain how remote some parts of Bajor are. <laughs> there's this one town where there's a giant sperm in the sky, <laughs> and it and it comes once a year and nearly destroys the town. Nobody else is aware of this. <laughs> Nobody on the entire rest of the planet even knows about it. Would you like to live in the lava lamp district? <laughs> that can be yours. <laughs> yeah, so but this guy is, you know, he, he's he's real set in his ways and and he's lived on this moon for 40 years. Like he escaped the Cardassians very early in his life and lived there by himself under very hard circumstances for a long time it sounds like. Even though his home and and the climate here is like Carlsbad in the spring. Like, right. there is nothing oppressive about his life as we see it right now. If I leave here, I'll die. So I'd rather die here. Well, this, this is one thing that I really wondered about this moon was like, this seems like really good arable land. Like, they have nothing but gourds lying around everywhere. Yeah, why are they destroying it? This seems like a bad way to get energy in this time and place. It doesn't make sense. It sure doesn't, Adam. I I I feel like uh, I feel like arable land is always is always the most valuable thing in a place. Air also a super valuable thing. <laughs> yeah. Mullabach yeah. totally puts the shoe on the other foot with Kira, because as they get to know each other, Mullabach's like, "So, uh, how'd you finally get rid of those Cardies? You must have." stabbed dozens of them right Kira's like well I mean we basically like resisted our way into them leaving and Mullabag there's a lot of, of farm implements yeah <laughs> Mullabag sort of furrows his brow and he's like oh so you resisted the thing that you didn't want to get what you wanted in the end huh I gotta remember that <laughs> and then just sort of <laughs> stares out in the middle distance like <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what he's gonna do so Kira's disclosing of of her history is sort of sort of gives Mullabach the reason he needs to not listen to her in a weird way. He's like, "Thank you for that awesome bit of strategy." All right, well, I'm going to uh, hang out and continue to live my life. I'm going to uh, continue to build this outdoor wood fired pizza oven that I've been working on, uh, and uh, you can fuck off because I'm going to keep living here. So, bye. I'm not sure if you've ever had Bajoran pizza inside a pizza oven. That The bottom of that crust gets really nice, nice and blistered. Mm. Which, yeah, that's what you like want the right little, there. Like just the right amount of burning to kind of give it a little, a little crackle when you crunch into it. It's, it's delicious. It's really nice. You can't do it without a wood-fired oven. I also like to make my hospirat that way. <laughs> <laughs> So Kira is, um, I, I think, like, partly charmed by Mullabach and partly, um, partly identifies with him. You know, he his his struggle is the struggle that she went through, and she doesn't want to be the the fucking jackbooted thug that 
that runs him off of his land. She doesn't want to become what she set out to destroy. That's no good. This is the most interesting part of the episode to me is when this is made clear by Cisco. Cisco gets word that Kira is like hanging around building pizza ovens on this moon that they're supposed to destroy. <laughs> he sort of couches it in a in an administrative problem for himself in that boy, I really don't want to go through the, the trouble of hiring another person to take Kira's place. I better go down there and see what's what. Well, let's not jump ahead too much because at fir- like the f- the first uh attempt is he sends her with two like guys with guns. One of these guys is one of the biggest security dudes I've ever seen in Star Trek. Yeah, he actually looks like he could be a security dude. They sort of shoot him from from like below the chest and it even makes him look it makes him look even more enormous. Yeah. His communicator looks like the size of a dime. <laughs> this guy's uh I think this guy played Jason. I clicked on his uh on his on his thing on the uh IMDb and his picture is of him in the like the Jason hockey mask. Kane Hodder's the only Jason actor that that I really know. Name of Tom Morga. I just clicked on Tom Morga. He was also in Star Trek Six. What did he play in Star Trek Six? The guy with the uh genital knees? <laughs> He's gotta be genital knees guy, right? Yeah. That's the only He's he's too big not to be genital knees guy. Oh boy, he's in a lot of Star Trek, by the by. I feel like there's like half a dozen actors who like got in with the Star Trek casting people and yeah. just get to play characters over and over again. Uh, he's known as the Brute in Star Trek Six, which may or may not be genital knees guy. That has got to be genital knees guy. That's got to be him. That's great. These guys, yeah, like these guys go off to get. Bajoran Gothic, and uh, they come back, and uh, one of them has been stabbed, and and uh, Mullabach is like, "Hey, you, get your damn hands off!" <sighs> what proceeds is like a a pretty intense scuffle that winds up with Mullabach getting shot. They have to bring Bashir down. It's real touch and go. He's uh, he's taken a nasty phaser to the chest. Yeah, and when you're an old, about the last thing you want is a phaser shot to the chest. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, I feel like in some instances in Star Trek, the phaser is a pretty dialinable weapon, you sure. know? Like, like the ideal non-lethal weapon would be one that you can count on to incapacitate somebody and never kill them. And that's not something that has ever been developed, but is something that, like, you could see a use for. Um, and I think that in some Star Trek episodes, the phaser is that, and in others, it's not. Like, did this guy have this have his phaser, like, like did he turn the knob so that it was directly in between kill and stun? Like, just, like, right on the line? Like, oh, shit, just a little bit to the left, and it would have been, the guy would have been fine. It seems like in a in a universe this far in the future, there would be such a thing as a weapon that is not only non-lethal, but non-harmful. Yeah. And a phaser is not that. A phaser no. continues to harm. <laughs> yeah. The uh, Federation continues not to practice what it preaches. 
and uh, this guy's in in bad shape. So Bashir like you know treats the guy for for Phaser and um, has the uh, the farm hands evacuated. And when Bashir gets back to the station, he's like, "Well, that's fucked up. Uh, I think what we should do." Ben is go and like take that guy out of there forcefully and Cisco's like hey listen like I can't lose Kira over this one rustic so what I need you to do right now is stand here and act out that she needs to look after him for a couple of days I love that uh, Bashir gives Cisco the what's what on Kira and, and Cisco's like well how bad is it Bashir is like, well, she took off her shirt. <laughs> and Cisco's like, oh fuck. I gotta get down there. <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. that I didn't realize the tunic was was hanging on a coat rack. This is serious. Those Bajoran girls wear a high waisted pant, Adam. Is there anything higher than Empire? Is it is that like Empire State Waste? <laughs> Romulan Star Empire Waste. Yeah. That uh, that waist so high though, uh, <laughs> it, it really like I I feel like I'd never really thought of Kira's uniform as being like ridiculously sexy until now, and now I feel like it's all I can focus on is like how tight those pants are. Yeah, there's a lot going on under that tunic. Yeah, holy mackerel. Well, anyways, <laughs> so Jake and Nog do that thing where you crumple a piece of paper while talking on the phone to somebody <laughs> so that they think that there's static on the line. And they call up this Bajoran who tried to buy these bolts. And uh, they say, like, hey, man, like... We're the, um, the Nogan... Uh, the Nogan Consortium. We'll sell you these bolts. And they wind up with uh, not, not Latinum, but land. And Nog, uh, another weird... Weird uh, blind spot for the Ferengi. Does not see the value of land. And Jake really does. So they end up taking this deal. They trade bolts for land, and and Nog is again disappointed in his fortune. Right, because every time a trade goes down, Nog feels pissed off that he's, you know, still doesn't have any latinum. Like, he doesn't care about anything but latinum. And, uh, yeah, like, this is like we said, like, he doesn't seem to have a plan for what he would do with Latinum. It's that he wants it. Which sort of makes me uninterested in the B story, TBH. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you, I'm sure you do. Like, like I've met people in my life whose stated goal in life is to make as much money as possible and, you know, are working in fields like banking or whatever where that's like the that's like all anybody is there to do is make as much money as possible and i i feel like i rarely met people who are trying to make as much money as possible for no reason other than to make as much money as possible like, yeah that seems if, if weird you, if you drill down like there's always something driving that yeah yeah and there's not even the there's not even the amorphous drive to him that's like i want to impress my dad there isn't even yeah. that <laughs> which would be totally credible for him like like he's that like, would be the most credible mo motive 
It would be. It would be like I not only want my dad to see me as a as a real live businessman, but like I want the respect that comes with that, and I want to be like on the same level. And if I'm able to turn garbage into latinum, then I'm gonna be that guy. But but there's it, it, not even a, a whiff of that. It would have been so easy to write that into the script too, because yeah. the way this storyline winds up wrapping up is Nog and Jake sitting in the bar playing cards again and like overhearing Odo <laughs> who comes in and is not doing security man shit is just trying to find the Jake Nog consortium or whatever and everybody's like who could that be <laughs> and uh, and the reason he's trying to find them is because the Bajoran government wants to like build a rec center on the land that Jake and Nog acquired and so they then go talk to quark about you know brokering this deal which is like that's when you have it reveal like quark slapping nog on the back going attaboy like you're really finally starting to come into your own as a little ferengi would be would be a very easy thing to like add to that scene without adding to like the amount of time this b story takes up in the script but also, like, the way it is arranged that Quark is going to do this deal is so stupid because they just sell him the land at the price that they wanted to get for the fucking sauce. When what they should do is say, hey, Quark, you can get 10% of the sale price of this land if you cut the deal. This whole setup felt like a trap to me that I didn't believe when I was watching it. When Odo and Quark just happened to walk by discussing this. Mm-hmm. I was like, Jake Nug LLC is being entrapped right now. <laughs> Odo totally has sniffed out this bit of of business happening here, and he's gonna like reprimand them or something. That's what I thought was happening, and for it to be a totally credible piece of business that happens later, <laughs> right. the the consequence of which is like business gets done. Rom gets money, Jake gets money, Jake Rom, Jake Nog gets... Fuck, I keep confusing Rom and, and Nog. Yeah. You know why? Because at this point, who gives a shit? <laughs> Jake's like, what, 14? 14 or 15? Yeah. You can bet every time Cisco leaves him at home, he's he's making some Jake Nog of his own. <laughs> he's raiding, raiding Cisco's liquor cabinet and making a little Jake Nog? No, Ben, that's not how I meant that. <laughs> He's making Jake knock. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to not, because I know that we'll get the. You're fucking, trying to not be gross, right? The fucking deluge of of emails going like it's really just not cool to talk about somebody underage having a sexuality <laughs> at all, even. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sure it, I'm sure it's totally wrong. Thanks. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll file your email where I put the rest of them. Now everybody knows that Adam and I are are uh, child sex enthusiasts. <laughs> <laughs> what this comedic construction presupposes is maybe we're not. <laughs> now, when you write in a pithy email to your favorite podcast host. <laughs> You're going to want to be as pedantic as possible. <laughs> that way, you cut down the social justice that you're accusing your host of being. 
thus making yourself look like the uncaring pile of garbage that your hosts assume you to be. We're using an oscillating spindle sander to grind off some of the rough edges of this email and make it nice and fluffy so that the underlying condescension doesn't present itself until the second paragraph. Adam and Ben, you may have made a podcast that I listen to, but don't get it in your in your minds that you're above being condescended to by me, somebody you've never heard of. I'm a man of special condescension. <laughs> well, if it's coming from you, Kevin. <laughs> Cisco takes a runabout to uh, to to Planet Pizza Oven, <laughs> and he convinces Kira that uh, hey, why don't you put your tunic back on? BTW, uh, you're on the other side of the power imbalance that you're used to. So how does that feel? And it fucking cuts her down. Like yeah. she like takes a knee. It is so gut punchy to her. It's not that Cisco is wrong about any of this, and it's not that he's cruel to her in its truth, but it's as if this is the first time that Kira's really taken to heart the idea of like what the gun and the badge mean to her as someone who used to be like part of the resistance. I think that that is like such an interesting character dynamic for her and an amazing bit of character development for for Nana Visitor to to go through. I mean, I think she does a great job with this. Yeah, she does not ham and cheese this moment. She does what she has done the entire season up until now, which was like go 9.5 out of 10 on the reaction yeah. and she feels a big oh, time. Is her name pronounced Nana Visitor? Did I feel like feel like maybe maybe we've been mispronouncing that. Look, Ben, uh, we've been saying Nana from the start, and we have not received a single email correcting our pronunciation, so I, I can only I, assume we're right, right? I, th- I think I watched an interview, and they were like, what's up with your name being Nana? And she was like, that's just what my parents named me. Can I tell you that uh, I ran into her at the Star Trek Discovery premiere in LA? No shit. Uh, she, is, she is really breathtaking. Yeah, no kidding. Just wanted to say that. Yeah. Was she wearing uh, pants that stopped, like, just under her armpits? She's got shock white hair right now. Yeah, I've seen that IMDb picture of her. That's a, that's a look, man. Yeah, it's great. It's strong. Strong look. I'd like to see her in more stuff. Yeah. What's she too. working on right now? I don't know. I don't know, man. Isn't there enough fucking prestige television that she can get something? Someone give her a Netflix series. Would watch. Watch the shit out of that. Stick her in Mindhunter. Yeah. Mindhunter season two. Well, Adam, uh, she goes to to sleep, you know, in the chair as uh, Malabak convalesces from his phaser wound. And uh, in the morning, she wakes up and, uh, and... Old boy has has gotten out of bed and gone outside to finish his pizza oven. 
you're gonna want to season that oven before you stick food in it, right? Like you gotta you gotta yeah. fire that thing up for a while. You want to get the you know volatile organic compounds out of the construction materials, you know? Sure. They always ship with with stuff on them that you don't want to get in the food. Yeah, yeah. Kira Kira wakes up and goes out into the patio, and she's like, "You can get pizza on Bajor, bitch." And like <laughs> sets her phaser to explode and then shoots yeah. the pizza oven. What the hell are you doing? Saving your life. That was actually how my wife got me to move from New York to LA. <laughs> she phasered your big green egg. <laughs> she said, you, you can get pizza in LA, bitch. <laughs> Turns out it's not true. You haven't found that great LA pizza? You know, the best pizza I've, I've had in LA so far has been pizza that I made myself. That doesn't surprise me. You're a great cook. I've been making pizza for 20 years. But what's frustrating about that is like, so there's nothing environmentally about LA that makes it impossible to have good pizza. It's that all of the restaurants that make it aren't good at it. (laughs) It's a choice. It's a choice, Adam. (laughs) That is so frustrating. (laughs) Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> uh, she uh, yeah she blows up the pizza oven and then she goes get and gets a torch and um, he's begging her like don't do something stupid as long as that cabin is standing I'm staying here and she goes up to the uh, to the cottage with this torch and it turns out it is incredibly flammable this cottage like she like touches the torch to it and. The fire takes. There's nothing about it when you look at it that presents as extremely flammable. Like, I feel no. like in most in most cities and most neighborhoods, you couldn't hold a flaming stick to a building and have it light on fire. That's what happens here. It didn't have like a grass roof or anything. It's like it's a hobbit hut. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah. built out of like good building materials, and yet somehow it is so combustible. It is like. Like, man, this is the most dangerous house that has ever been built. Did Kira burn all her bullets on the pizza oven? Because it seems like (laughs) using the phaser would have been more efficient. But the thing about the flaming torch is it's more dramatic and sad. It's the more humane version of Data blowing up the water pipe in Ensigns of Command, you know? Yeah, that's a definite, like, thematic and emotional callback this moment this happens right after kira says look when you're on bejor you and i can be friends i need a friend there and then she totally blows up his shit <laughs> it's the most rugged let's be friends let down moment between a girl and a guy ever right i feel like she's gonna she's gonna fly him to bejor and then pop in the uh dvd of wrath of khan and just have the part of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few part queued up on it be like see you see mullabuck you see you fucking selfish fuck you fucking wanted your dumb little poverty house over a hundred thousand people not freezing to death over the winter fuck you you think the bejor chamber of commerce Visitors Bureau has that clip of O'Brien fighting off Lava Lamp Monster on Bajor. <laughs> Come see our crazy monsters. 
Get issued one of our charming local dashikis and try and fight it yourself. We've got power and running water in some places. <laughs> I thought it was uh, like a, a pretty a pretty effective end to the episode when she says two to beam up and it just fades to black. Like there's a nice amount of ambiguity in the ending. That felt very unique in the episodes that we've seen for our podcast so far. In the almost 200 episodes, that feeling and that line and that fade felt especially dark. I think uh, I'm not, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, uh, I don't think they're going to be friends after this. Ben. No, I don't think they are. That is a long, awkward trip back to the station. <laughs> like, you can be sure Mullivac is riding in the conference room a cabin of the runabout, right? <laughs> like, he's back there drumming his fingers on a, on a table next to the fruit bowl. Going, uh, yeah, I met Kira. She just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic. He's like, yeah, I just finished this Visitor's Bureau DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that guy with the curly hair? (laughs) Place looks pretty dangerous, if you ask me. (laughs) At least on my moon, there wasn't a big goober of Jake Nog in the sky. You finally came around to it, didn't you? (laughs) Did you like this episode, Adam? To wish it were better in the ways that we did doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad episode. Right. But there were just so many spots that that feel like it could have used a punch-up. Mm-hmm. And and a punch-up that didn't require budget either. Like, Like, you could dialogue fix this. Yeah. I think that it's such a weird episode because there's some like like that end is as good an ending as yeah. a Trek episode gets. And that's why I'm so conflicted with the answer to that question is like the end is great, but but a lot that came up to that point is not. And I also just feel like Kira's journey in the episode is amazing. My second favorite scene is is the Cisco dress down, you know, like the like the truth of Kira's circumstance is visited on her. And then like that moment for Kira is amazing. And yet even Riker and Picard would, would argue. And I feel like this was maybe Cisco's point is so well taken that there's not even room for argument. But if Kira is really going to be Cisco's equal in some way, I would have wanted a little more argument in this moment. But as it was, like, Cisco rides in on his white runabout and just, like, devastates her and then goes back. Like, it, it seemed too easy for him. Yeah. In a in a way that, like, the entire circumstance was reading as complex. Cisco is almost exclusively playing the managerial role that he has in this episode. Yeah. And... And playing it in a very, like, Machiavellian way where it's just like, don't want to have to hassle with coming up with a new Kira. So, like, going to go give Kira what she wants uh, to a certain extent. And Odo is, like, totally misused in the episode. Yeah. I would even say. 
Yeah. I, I neither like nor dislike the episode. I think I just medium liked it and it had some good scenes in it, but that is my position. What about you, Ben? Sort of a cop out. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think, um, I think that this is another one of those early season episodes that shows the writers starting to kind of dig their fingernails into the thing that is amazing about the series, but not having the resolve to really like pull a chunk out to uh, extend a metaphor of nothingness. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I think that like, I'm really excited by a lot of this episode and also it's like Star Trek three where it's just like, God, like we're just going to come fucking back to this set and have some people yelling at each other for a while. Okay. You know, judging from decades of movies and television, you would think that stubborn old guy is something that you run into all the time. (laughs) I think I'm getting a little tired of this as an A story, you know? We sure are, Adam. You know Um, what else we're getting a lot? What a priority one message has been. What do you say we check those out? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is from Brian Irwin, photo guy from DC Show. Oh, hey, Brian. What's up, Brian? We also met Brian at Max Fun Con East. He was a a real sweet guy. Uh, And this is for my friends, Ben and Adam. And it goes like this. Results from Mas- Max FunCon East gin taste test. Blue Coat was the most popular. You luscious pounded it. Jordan Morris stink-eyed me when I reclaimed the bottles. He figured I stole them. <laughs> ben, can you vouch for my character? Also, should I check out Discovery? I was going to sign up for PBS Online or whatever. <laughs> But I spent my Star Trek budget on this message. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, fun. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know. Like, I, If you're willing to spend 100 bucks on a Priority One message, I think you can probably swing the like $9 for a month of CBS to, to watch Discovery. And... I think Discovery is pretty good, so uh, I wouldn't discourage anybody from doing that. I mean, as someone who spends their own money stupidly most of the time, uh, I'm not going to <laughs> criticize anyone else's financial decisions, Ben. Brian took a couple, a, a series of great photos of uh, our DC live show, and then was at Max Funcon East and was like a real, a real cool hang. So uh, thanks for thanks for writing in, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Our second priority one message comes from Sarah Giffen. It is for James Anderson. Message goes like this: I'm sorry that your original Xmas present didn't work <laughs> because you're apparently a robot. So this is your new present. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Also, I want to formally ask you to marry me via this incredibly dorky podcast. Whoa! Hopefully Adam and Ben will play the audio of Picard saying engage in our honor. No yeah. shit. Dang. Engage. Amazing. 
Wow. A P1 proposal, Ben. One of the best things that can happen in a priority one message is one person throwing caution to the wind and declaring their undying love for another person. Congratulations, Sarah and James. Uh, big ups to Sarah specifically. Yeah, I hope this works out. <laughs> uh, if if it works out great, I'll take all the credit. Uh, if it works out bad, I think you should blame Ben. Yeah, that's probably my fault. Ben is a licensed uh, wedding officiant also. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so reach out. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm willing to make that lie true in order to officiate a <laughs> wedding. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, if you have a priority one message of your own, it doesn't have to be uh, an engagement proposal. It can be anything, but... At this point, I sort of prefer if they are. <laughs> you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages like wedding proposals are $100, and commercial messages are $200. It's a great way to propose to your future husband or wife. Yeah. And also support the greatest generation. Thanks, guys. Now, Adam, I hate to ask... But uh, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I did, and it's one of those uh, those time code Shimodas. Bit. Time code Shimode. <laughs> Follow me, if you will, 14 minutes and 10 seconds. Okay. There's a moment in the episode where uh, Nog and Jake are communicating non-verbally uh, across the bar. Yeah, they're doing like they're doing like fist pumps at each other. And it's Jake that's just next to a stranger in the bar. <laughs> and Jake <laughs> fist pumps right next to someone who is drinking alone. <laughs> and this woman is looking at Jake like, I'm just trying to have a drink here. Yeah, she's, what is it? she's like, hey, listen, I, I, I flew here from Earth to interview for the job to replace Keiko O'Brien. At yeah. the, as as the uh, head of the school, she totally. And I looks didn't like get the job. Principal. Yeah. <laughs> also, why are kids allowed in the bar? <laughs> she looks totally irritated <laughs> by Jake. Jake doesn't need to be that close to her either. Like, there's yeah. sort of an invasion of her personal space that's happening here <laughs> that I don't like she's personally. Like, she's like, your onesie is pretty nut heavy, and it also smells like oatmeal. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to give it to middle-aged woman looking at Jake raising his arm. (laughs) That's my drunk Shimoda. Fair enough. What about you, Ben? Uh, I also have a time code Shimoda, Adam. Great move by me, closing the window. (laughs) (laughs) If you you get it back open to 25 minutes and, and nine seconds... You've got the aftermath of the Bajoran security guy shooting our corn pone old Bajoran. The uh, the Bajoran security guy kind of drops his gun, and the and the old farm hand is uh, is there, and the old farm hand gets my Shimoda for being uh, just just so visibly dejected by the the outcome of his struggle. <laughs> the thought going through his head is like, I thought I was gonna. I was going to wrestle this guy's pistol out of his hand and then fight these people off of our land. And instead, my friend is dead. 
this guy's a real like, crack shot. Like, yeah, y- if you even graze a a quarterback's elbow during the throw, that ball is going all willy nilly. And this guy yeah. is just draped on the security person. And the security person who's already taken a rake stab to the gut. Yeah. Like the guy's got blood all over his shirt because he's been stabbed. That guy's great. Give that guy a promotion. Yeah, give that security guy a promotion. And uh, if you're evacuating this this recalcitrant old man to the surface, maybe don't give him a great setup with his new life, you know? In the Bajoran Witness Protection Program, like, he doesn't get a cool job. I think Empire State Pants might be a thing for all Bajorans, because when you get the two-shot of Mullabak and Kira on the ground, Mullabak having just been shot, you sort of get to see up <laughs> up his costume, and <laughs> lordy, those pants, those pants they go, go all the way the up. Yeah, they really yeah. do. <laughs> Darmok, Angelad, and Tanagra. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? Which will also be a drunk episode. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hang up right now and then record next week's episode immediately. So, so the next episode, uh, it's not it's not even worth rolling the Dabo wheel or whatever. Yeah, for because, because we're already we're already in the bag, and it's not like I'm gonna stop drinking at him. No, the next episode is season one, episode fifteen. If wishes were horses. When members of the station find their fantasies coming to life, it becomes the prelude to a very real danger, which threatens everyone. Hey, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds like a fun one to drink for. I really like prelude episodes. (laughs) Uh, Well, that'll be our show next week. In the meantime, Adam, folks can connect with us on the internet by going to Twitter and using the hashtag GreatestGen. You're on there as at CutForTime, and I am on there as at BenjaminRAHR. Uh, we also have really lively and fun and cool Facebook and Reddit groups. If you go on Facebook and look for the Greatest Gen group and the Reddit Greatest Gen sub, uh, they are great places to hang online and... Uh, not the darkest and worst place in the world on the internet, which almost every other part of the internet is these days. Um, ben, and, if, uh, if, sh- uh, if you're listening to this episode on the week it comes out, this is the week that we will be at San Francisco Sketchfest. Oh, shit! And uh, if you are in, around, or within... 300 miles of San Francisco <laughs> I would say you're obligated to go to this yeah uh, I'm hoping that we're sold clear by this point but uh, I hope but, so you know, too. go online and, and check it out if uh, if uh, if we're not you know it'd be it'd be cool to see you yeah it really would I mean uh, we're probably already we probably already will have blown up your spot about our other show, Friendly Fire, too, which is, which is, which we're doing live at Sketchfest, also. But uh, give us a try on a brand new show in a in a slightly different different format. It's something that uh, we're both really proud of doing, and I hope it's the the first of many weird sidecar podcasts that you and I do far into the future. 
that's a that's a beautiful thought, Adam. And I thought I have had to defend to my wife in many arguments. <laughs> we should thank Dark Materia and Ad Magusia for our theme music. And uh, the great folks that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and support the show. And uh, the folks that go to MaxFunStore.com and grab all of our merch items. Uh, those are great ways to support production of this program. Thanks, everyone. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that is a horrifying Irish stereotype. <laughs> another? <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.